Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. Anytime you're in Huntsville, we hope you'll come be part of our worship. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. We hope you'll enjoy this lesson brought to us by Glenn Colley. The scripture this morning will come from John chapter 3, 18 through 21. John chapter 3, 18 through 21. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. Please be seated. Would you open God's book, please, to, to John chapter 6, and we'll take up there in just a few minutes, and may I just tell you that it's wonderful to see you here. God has blessed us with a beautiful day to worship Him. One of the things we're doing in Kidsing right now with this new card, not so new now, is apologetics, and part of the apologetics card is the seven... I am statements in the book of John. And I thought it would be useful to the, to the kids and also to all of us adults for me to spend today talking about those seven I am statements. So I'm going to do, I'm going to talk about four of them this morning and the last three this evening. You have to promise to come back and we will cover all seven of those. It's really easy, and I'm going to kind of prepare us for the lesson. It's easy to look at the I am statements in the book of John that we're going to discuss and, and tie them together with, with Exodus chapter 3. Exodus 3 is when God tells Moses, I want you to go tell the Israelite people that I'm going to deliver them through you from Egyptian bondage. And Moses said, but, but Lord, when I tell them that, I don't, I don't know if they're going to accept it. Who will I say has sent me? Now remember Jesus, or God's answer to that was, you tell them I am has sent you. The significance of that is that that's always been his name and will always be his name. It's underscoring the eternality of God. He is eternal. He never had a beginning. He will never have an end. His name will always be I am. Now, when you go over then across the centuries. You fast forward to John chapter 8 and verse 58. You have Jesus, and the Jews are putting pressure on him. They just resent the fact that he claims to be deity from heaven. They, they just can't grasp that. And something comes up about Abraham, and they prize their Abrahamic blood. They just think it's wonderful that they're descendants of Abraham. Put a lot of stock in that. And Jesus, Jesus said, uh, Abraham rejoiced to see my day and was glad. Well, wait, 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 wait. You, you, you're not even 50 years old, they said. You're, you, you're, you're claiming that you're older than Abraham? Are you serious? And Jesus said, and here it is, before Abraham was, I am. Now, that means the same thing as Exodus 3 when God, the Father said it. I am, and Jesus was underscoring the fact that he is God. He is 
the Son of God. He is the equal with God. He is God. And He is eternal. Now, okay, that's just prep. Hold on to that. When you get then to, to the book of John, you find seven different statements from Jesus which say, I am this or that. That's what we're going to be covering today. The I am statements. Remember when you were in school and you learned the difference in English grammar between a simile and a metaphor? The difference, uh, I, I, I don't, yeah, maybe you don't use this much in your life, I, but, but it's important today to understand it. A simile is a statement of a comparison, and both a simile and a metaphor are comparisons of two different things. But a simile is one where you use the word as or like. It is, this, this knife is sharp as a razor. That's a simile. She's sly as a fox. That's a simile. Sometimes we sing, as a deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after you. That's a simile. Use the word as or the word like, and that's a simile, comparing two things. A metaphor takes it to the next level. It's, it's a couple of clicks up. A metaphor is when you don't use the word like, you just plain out say it. You don't, you don't just say this knife is as sharp as a razor. You say, this knife is a razor. You don't say, uh, he's, he's uh, big like a lion. You say, or, or like an elephant, you say, he's an elephant, right? Strong as an ox, but if it's a metaphor, you just say, he's an ox. A metaphor is a stronger way of saying it. It, it, it takes it up to where you just plain out say it. All right, now, I know you're wondering where we're going. Where we're going is this. These seven statements of Jesus in John that we're going to be talking about are not similes. They're metaphors. He doesn't say, I'm, I'm like the light. He says, I'm the light. He doesn't say, I'm like bread. He says, I am the bread of life. He doesn't say, I'm, I'm like the door of the sheep or, or I'm like the shepherd of the sheep. He says, I am the door. I am the good shepherd. All right? So it's ratcheting it up to where it's a metaphor. It's still a figure of speech. It's still a comparison, but it's this kind of comparison. And the children who are doing kids sing, most of them can tell you these seven I am statements of Jesus. I am the bread of life, John chapter 6. I'm the light, John chapter 8. I'm the gate or the door for the sheep, John chapter 10 and verse 7. Then you drop down to verse 11, verse 14 and 15. I am the good shepherd. I'm the resurrection of the life, John chapter 11. John 14 and verse 6. And I'm the way and the truth and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by me. And then John 15 winds it up. I am the true vine. I am the vine and you are the branches. There they are. So get ready and let's start with number one. I am the bread. How long can you go without eating? Well, you, you, you know, if, if lunch is late, we get a little uncomfortable. That's not what I'm talking about. How long can, a, can an average man live without eating? And the answer is just hard to give because it depends on so many things. His BMI, his, 
his weight, his age, so many different things, how long he can survive. If he has water, he can survive perhaps a few weeks, but he's going to be a lot of suffering. He's really going to suffer. Did you know that you can, you can live longer without food than you can without sleep? I just think that's interesting. The, the, the man who's gone without sleep holds the record right now, 11 days, but he was not, not too far from death. You will, you will go crazy and you will die without sleep. Now, you'll die without food, too. Food is something that is universal. What's interesting about it to me is that it doesn't matter how much money you have. The richest man in the world, whoever that is right now, how many billions of dollars he has. I do not know, but I'll tell you this. He's got to eat just like a poor man. Everybody has to eat. And Jesus here makes a metaphor of, of food. It's about food. Here's the circumstance. Let me give you the story, and then we'll get into it. It's the feeding of the 5,000. So Jesus is on the Sea of Galilee. So much of what he did was around this, this body of water. The Sea of Galilee is fresh water. It's also called the Sea of Tiberias. It's also called Lake Gennesaret. And, and so there's a crowd of people, a large crowd, that gather to hear him. And, and Jesus has pity on them. And he says to his disciples, you know, they don't have an, any food to eat. We need to feed them. We can't send them away like this. What can we feed them? And they say, well... We don't really have, we got a little money, not very much, not enough to feed them. And there is this boy here, this lad, he has five loaves, barley loaves, and two small fishes. And Jesus says, bring that to me. And you remember what happened. Now, miraculously, he has it distributed, and when they take up, there's 12 baskets left over. It was a magnificent miracle. There are 5,000 men, plus women and children. It's a massive crowd and a tremendous miracle. At that time, then, the people who eat start praising him in a way that makes him nervous that what they're going to do is try to make him their king. That's not what he wants to, that's not what he's looking for. And so he says to his disciples, I'm going to go now up into the mountain and be alone for a little while. And so he goes to to the mountain. And, And when you go today to the Sea of Galilee, you can see the mountains. And when evening came, the disciples went on over in a boat toward Capernaum. And they got out kind of toward the middle. Now we're talking about a big body of water big enough that you can have a storm that'll toss one of those little boats around. They get, they get, the Bible says, three or four miles out, and, and the storm happens, and, and it's pitching them around, and they're afraid, and Jesus comes walking on the water. He settles the water down, and the Bible says immediately they were over to the other side at Capernaum. The next morning, that big crowd that Jesus had fed figured out where he must be, and so they get over there. And, and here they are again. They, they're gathered around Jesus. And Jesus says, you know what? This is a rebuke to them. You know what? You're not here because of the signs. You're not here because you have so much belief in me. You, you know what? You're here because of the loaves and fishes. You're here because I fed you. It was in this context that Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. I am the bread of life. When you get to the end of the chapter, it's going to stir you up because Jesus presses this metaphor to a strong extreme. He wants them to get this. It's very much like a man who picks up a bag, a cloth bag of jewels, precious jewels, and he thinks, I can really use this this bag, and he empties out the jewels and keeps the bag. They are in the presence of Jesus Christ, 
who has just performed a magnificent sign, a magnificent miracle, and fed the 5,000. He fed them from nothing, and they saw that. And now he says, let me tell you why you're here. You're here because you want more food. You're here because you want, you want me to feed you because of the signs that you see. And it, it struck him, and it was a perfect illustration, a perfect time for this, this metaphor to say, I'm, I'm the bread of life. Now, some people, some people say that when he gets to the end and he says, you have to eat my flesh, you have to drink my blood, that, that he's talking about the Lord's Supper. In Luke 22 and verse 19, he says of the bread, you take and eat this, this is my body. And some religionists have, have gone to a, a crazy extreme and created transubstantiation. Transubstantiation says that when you eat the Lord's Supper and you put it and you ingest it, that it turns into physical body and blood, flesh and blood of Jesus. Well, that's, that misses the point. I don't really think Jesus was talking about the Lord's Supper in John chapter 6 here. In the context, the obvious reading is just this point. I want you to understand that, that this bread you eat is important, but it's not as important as what I am to you. This bread will sustain you for a little while during this life, but I'm here for eternal life. I am the bread of life. The book of Job says in 23 and verse 12, I treasured the Lord's words more than my necessary food. Matthew 4 and verse 4, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word which proceeds out of the mouth of God. What is it that makes you hungry? Well, you, I mean, you, you know what it feels like to be hungry. But what is it that makes you feel hungry for Jesus? What is it that connects you to Jesus? What is it that ties you to him? And whatever that is, I just want you to appreciate the value of that. I need to hunger and thirst after his righteousness. I need to want to take advantage of every opportunity that I have to get closer to Jesus. And when I come to Bible class and worship, I need, I need to appreciate that that's what I'm doing. I'm, I'm studying and I'm learning. I'm growing closer to Him through His Word. When I'm with His people, that's what I'm doing. I'm getting closer to Jesus. All right, here's the point. When, when you think about our Lord, I want you to think about Him in these terms. He is our bread. He is, and He didn't say cake, by the way. I think that's kind of interesting. This is not about dessert. This is about sustenance. This isn't once in a while thing. When I really want to splurge, I have some cake. This is day in, day out. I need him. I need him for my sustenance. I need him in order to survive. And he is the bread. All right, here's number two. Jesus is the light. Now we go to John chapter 8. Light in Scripture is fascinating to me. You start with the creation, and what you have on the face of the world, the earth, is just utter chaos. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth, ready for this, was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. Can you picture that in your mind? Well, it's not easy, and it's not pleasant. It is massive. It is chaotic. It is dark. And what God did was to bring order to this planet. And how did he do that? Well, the first thing he did was to say, let there be light, and there was light. He turned the lights on. Now, this is interesting too. It's kind of a side note, maybe a little trivial, but I mean, in in knowledge, but that wasn't the sun. The first light wasn't the sun. On the first day, what he did was to say, the light was just from his mouth. He just spoke it into existence. But when you get to the fourth day, that's when he created the sun and the moon, 
right? The light pushed away the darkness. Darkness is not really a thing so much as it is the absence of a thing. Darkness is the absence of light. And here in John chapter 8, you have this concept. Here's Job 26 and verse 10, that he set up the boundaries of light and dark. And before long in Scripture, the light and the dark become symbols. And the light is about understanding. It's about truth. It's about purity. It's about righteousness. It's about doing things that make good sense spiritually. Here's Psalm 82 and verse 5. They do not know, nor do they understand. They walk about in darkness. I want to, to read to you from John chapter 3. I turn over two, three pages and get to John 3. Here's verse 18. I guess I should preface it with this. In our passage, John chapter 8, where Jesus says he is the light, the circumstance is this. Jesus is in the temple. There's kind of an ad hoc meeting there of, of a class. It's just a little class. Some people gathered around him. This, I would like to have been there. And he's, he's talking to them. And you can just imagine the kinds of things he's saying to these people there in the temple. And the Jews, who were always trying to find a way to trap Jesus, drag a woman in in the midst of them. So they just presume to interrupt the class. It's extremely rude. They just interrupt the class because they want to say something. And the Bible says it's because they want to trap him. And, and so they, they pull her in there and they say this, Rabbi, we caught this woman in adultery in the very act. Parenthetically, it's interesting to me that they don't, this is not a trial. This is not a hearing whether or not she's guilty. They just want him to just know that they're telling the truth and that that's what happened. I do not know in what stage of dress she was. I hope they put some sort of robe about her when they brought, but I'm not sure they did. They just wanted him to know that that's what was going on in the very act they said. And so they said, now Moses commanded that such should be stoned. What do you say? That's just a trap. It's just a trap. So What's going to happen is if he says, yeah, stoner, they're going to tell the Romans because the Romans reserve execution for themselves. If they say, if he says, no, no, don't stoner, then they're going to say that he's forsaken the law of Moses and then the Jews get up in arms and maybe that they will reject him. So in this trap, you know what Jesus does? He, he bends down and, and he starts to ride in the dirt. I don't know what he wrote. Nobody knows that. Uh, not anybody breathing here don't know, but, but I know that he wrote something, and then he, he said this, he who is without sin among you, let him cast the first stone, and you remember what happens, beginning at the eldest to the youngest, they just meander off, and Jesus turns to the woman and says, where are your accusers who condemns you? And she said, they're gone, no, nobody does, and he said, well, neither do I, go and sin no more, hold this now, hold this, because this is the circumstance. Here's the atmosphere in which Jesus says this. And it's in this moment that Jesus then says, I am the light of the world. I want you to know that that darkness is is a word, a symbol of evil and and what is wrong from hell. what, What influence the devil has on earth, you could summarize it under one heading, which is, it is darkness. 
Jesus had just looked in the eyes of people who had brought this woman. Now, the woman, was, so presumably she was in adultery. Is, is, is adultery darkness? Yeah, oh yeah, it's dark. You think about how many people are hurt by adultery. You think about the heart of God and how it must be hurt by adultery. Is adultery is what she was engaged in. Darkness, yeah, that's darkness. But look at them. Look at the accusers who brought her in. They don't care about her. They don't care about what's right. They just care about entrapping Jesus. And that's what the Bible says. They just, they, they're willing to, to sacrifice her as sort of collateral damage. She can go. It doesn't matter about her. It matters about getting to Jesus. And we want to do it now. We want to interrupt the class. And we want to make it very public. How do you feel if you're Jesus? Why do you come to earth? Why, why is he here? And the answer is to try to bring the light. And yet here are people who are shrouded swimming in the darkness. Shrouded in darkness. And he looks and says, I'm the light of the world. Think about other times when this is used. Now, here's John chapter 3. I want to just, I want to read a few verses. Verse 18 of John 3. He who believes in him is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation that light has come into the world. And men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. No ambiguity about that, is there? You know what darkness means. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light. Lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen. That they're done in God. When you get to Luke chapter 22 and verse 58, and Jesus is there in the Garden of Gethsemane, and you and I in our minds, as we ate the Lord's Supper a while ago, our minds went back to the Garden of Gethsemane. And here comes the Romans and the Jews <clears throat> to arrest him. Here they come, and there's the kiss of Judas. And one of the things Jesus says is very interesting. Your hour has come. Talking to these people, this is your hour. And it's the power of darkness. Wow, that's significant. It's, 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 just, it's just part of this picture, this symbolism of light and dark, and that Jesus is the light. This is the power. This is the power of darkness. And when you get to Matthew chapter 27, you have our Lord hanging on the cross there on that tree, and the Bible says that from the sixth hour to the ninth hour, there was darkness. That's just powerful because that old sunshine has shone down on some awful things and war and rape and pillage and disease. It had never, never refused to give its light before, but in tribute, as it were, to the suffering Son of God, the Son will not give its light because this is the power of darkness. This is the power of darkness. When Jesus, in Matthew chapter 4, started his earthly ministry, he made reference to Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 2. And he said, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shone. You want to know who that is? You know. The light is Jesus. What strikes me about sin, and I want you to always remember this, is that we would assume that the person in the world who knows the most about sin it's the person who's most deeply involved in it. <clears throat> that isn't true. 
It isn't true at all. As a matter of fact, the deeper a person gets in sin, the less he knows about it. You know why? Well, it's because of darkness. It's because he's in the dark. The person who knows the most about sin is not the person who's in it. The person who knows the most is the person who studies the Word of God. He's into the Word of Jesus Christ, the New Testament of Jesus Christ our Lord. And he identifies it and he understands it and he knows what the darkness is like and he wants to stay away from the darkness. He's the one who understands it the best. Here's a man who is pursuing another man's wife. He doesn't know it, but he's walking into darkness. Here's a teenage girl, and she's bragging to her friends that she's bisexual. It's cool. And she doesn't realize it, maybe, but she's stepping into the darkness. Here's a politician who reasons that, of course, while he's lying to his constituents, he's lying to people about this or that to support his selfish agenda. It is for the better good. The greater good is done. And what he's doing, and maybe he doesn't realize it, but what he's doing is walking into the darkness. That's the darkness. The woman who, who lies and she cheats is in the darkness. I want you to always remember that hail is outer darkness. It should not surprise us then that the things in this life which are promoted and are from hail are darkness. And when Jesus stood there and these, these people had brought this woman and taken in adultery in the very act, they say, here's this just a pitiful circumstance. And there he's trying to teach these folks around him about the light and about how to live right. And here's this mess. And his reaction was this metaphor. When the, those, the accusers had gone away, the woman is gone now. I'm the light. I'm the light of the world. And that's how he is in your life. There is a name I love to hear. I love to sing It's worth it. It sounds like music in my ear, the sweetest name on earth. Oh, how I love Jesus. Number three, here's the third one for today. We're going to go to to John chapter 10 now and verse 7. Now, this is going to be about sheep. I don't know a lot about sheep. um, I've seen them on TV. I've seen them in real life a couple of times, but that's kind of interesting to me. We don't know much about sheep. But in verse 7, he says, most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Now, the, the, the meaning, of course, is that he, a shepherd would gather his sheep together, and, and he would be the one who would count them, inspect them, and if one of them had a coat like a wolf, he would make sure that one didn't get in, right? No wolves in here. He would protect them. So he's the door of the sheep. I want to start reading in John 10, verse 1. Most assuredly, I say to you, He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, same as a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. You know what? I don't know about sheep, but I know something about dogs. Dogs are loyal like that. Dogs know their master, right? You take your dog, unless it's just a useless, oh, sorry, lap dog. I'm just kidding. You know, one of those dogs that can't even chase a rabbit. 
But you walk out with your dog, if he's any count at all, he's going to be loyal to you. He'll follow you and he'll obey you most of the time. And, and he will treat strangers in a way very different from how he treats you because he knows you. And that's how come it's so hard for us to lose a dog when he dies because I know him and he knows me. Anyway, that's similar to how the sheep are here. Verse 4, when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. And a stranger they will by no means follow, but will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things of which he spoke to them. Jesus said to them, most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. Now, I want to underscore in this that he says, I am the door. Now, the the little article, the, there, I just want to touch on this, is the definite article. I am the door. I am the door. Bear in mind, Christians, that that the only way a person's going to get into Christ only way a person's going to get to heaven and to God, you know, John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, the life. The only way you do that is by going through Jesus Christ. He is our hope. When you finish your prayer, it's common for you to say, in Jesus' name, amen. Right, that's a fine thing to say because you understand it. I'm praying through him. You're worshiping this morning in this room, and we're worshiping in the name of Jesus Christ. He is our access. So Acts chapter 14 and verse 12, right, there is... No salvation in any others. No other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, the life. Ready? No man comes to the Father except by me. So let's emphasize that in this verse 7 of chapter 10. Jesus says, I am the door. The door. Now here's the fourth one. Drop down now to verse 11. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. 14, I'm the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and I am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. That's talking about the cross, of course. Now, let's finish up this sermon doing this. In John 10, you have this this wonderful analogy, even this metaphor to say, I am the shepherd. But what is interesting to me, the beauty of it, is that John chapter 10 is a great comparison to Psalm 23 with which you're familiar. Now, one is apparently talking about God the Father. The other is obviously talking about God the Son. But both of them are our shepherds. So walk with me. Here we go. Psalm 23, 1 says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. John 10, 14. I am the good shepherd. And I know my sheep and am known by my own. Psalm 23, 2 says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. John 10, 9 says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Psalm 23 says, He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. John 10 verse 3 says, To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. 
Psalm 23 and verse 4 says, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because thou art with me. John 10 verse 11 says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Then we turn the page and we get to verse 27 and 28. The last verse of Psalm 23 says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. John 10, 27 says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life. They shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. There is a name that I love to hear. I love to sing its worth. It sounds like music in my ear. The sweetest name on earth. Oh, how I love Jesus. These are metaphors, not just similes, not just, I mean, it's comparisons. It is. Both of these are are comparisons, but this this is a ratchet a little higher. This is a metaphor to say, I am these things. And the objective of these two sermons is to help us love Jesus even more. He is our everything. He is our bread and our light the gate through which we have gone to become Christians. He is the shepherd of our lives right now, and we live in his sunshine. Tonight we'll talk about the last three, and I hope you can come back. Is there someone here today who is not following Jesus as a disciple? Would you like to become a Christian? Would you like to, even to say it, it's just amazing to me, would you like to wear his name? Christian. The New Testament teaches us how to do that. You repent of your sins and confess him that you believe that Jesus is God's son and then you can be baptized. The Bible says it's into Christ. We put on Christ in baptism. And Jesus promised us eternal life. He wants us to be saved. You can obey the gospel today. We'll be happy to assist you. If you are a Christian and you need the prayers of the Christians, maybe you've been in that darkness we talked about, and you've got to come back to the light. Just give me the light. I've got to get out and come back. Now, it would be a wonderful time to do that, and we'll pray for you and with you. You can be restored, and you can walk in a better way, a different way. We're going to sing a song of encouragement. If you'd like to respond, come as we stand and sing. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word, brought to us by Glenn Colley. If you have comments or questions, Glenn can be reached by email at collie at westhuntsville.org.